Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Sarah DeSimone is a former school SLP who started her private practice in a small town in Idaho after following the steps laid out in the Start Your Private Practice program. In this interview, Sarah talks about how she built her private practice on the side of her job in the schools and how she loves knowing that she is serving her community who would otherwise be stuck on a wait list or commuting a long distance to get speech therapy. If you've ever thought about starting a private practice as a school SLP or as someone who lives in a more rural area, this is the perfect student success story for you to listen to. There are a couple of spots in the interview where the Wi-Fi was a little bit weak, but the content that Sarah shares is so valuable, make sure you push through and listen to the whole thing. In the interview, Sarah talks about her experience as a student in the Start Your Private Practice program and how it helped her get started with both information and ongoing support. We are going to be reopening soon, so if you want to make sure that you get access to the exact same resources that helped Sarah, make sure you're on the waiting list over at startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist. We only open publicly a few times a year, so make sure that you're on our list and get notified the second we reopen. I'm Jenna Castro-Casbon, speech-language pathologist, business coach, and creator of the Start Your Private Practice system. And I'm on a mission to turn stuck SLPs into successful private practitioners. If you're tired of dealing with high productivity requirements, high caseload sizes, and low pay, it's time to take control of your professional, personal, and financial life and finally get the freedom, flexibility, and financial abundance that you deserve by working with private clients in your own practice. Join me here each week as I share tips, best practices, and inspirational interviews on the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. If you're a private practitioner or one in the making, you're in the right place, so let's get started. So before we dive in, could you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Yeah, my name is Sarah Desimone, and I'm the owner and speech-language pathologist at Huckleberry Therapy, LLC. I live in Athol, Idaho, uh, which is a small town of uh, less than a 1,000 people. It's for people who are familiar with the Pacific Northwest. It's about a half hour north of Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and about 45 minutes from Spokane, Washington. 
Fantastic. Well, I always love to hear about people who have private practices in different parts of the country. So I'm very curious to hear what it's like, you know, having a private practice in your area. But before we get into talking about like where you are currently in your private practice journey, could you take us back to like your early career as an SLP and maybe what led you to start thinking about private practice? Sure. Yeah. Well, I kind of had had I'd always known that I wanted to work with kids, but being a teacher was just out of the question because that's too many kids at one time. But I knew, yeah, something with kids. And I had always liked the idea of working in the schools. I did a few of my, some observations in the schools and then some field work in the schools. And I was like, yeah, this, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. You know, you work eight to three thirty. And uh, you have summers off, paid, you know, paid Christmas break, paid spring break. Then I got done with school and I finished in May, May of 2016. And I had my son was about 10 months old and I couldn't wait to try to get a school job. You know, I I had to start providing for my family. So it was kind of like, well, you know, there's there's a few clinics in our area but you know they're pretty pretty competitive to get into from what i'd heard but thankfully i was able to get a job pretty quickly at at i think considered one of the the better peds clinics in spokane and uh, you know i was pretty content there for a while i worked four tens so i always had friday saturday sunday off it was great great time with my kiddo during that and i i learned so much being in that setting there was 12, I think 12, somewhere between 12 and 15 SLPs, never, ever was private practice on my radar, like not. And then I had some life changes and um, decided to, I ended up moving to North Idaho and I was commuting an hour each way to work, you know, working 10 hour days. So I'd get up at, you know, six to be at work at eight. And get home at like eight, usually seven thirty or eight, and that was just I I kind of had enough. The pay was good, and uh, you know I loved my clients and my coworkers, but I, the commute was just killing me. But even then, I I never thought like oh like maybe I should try private practice. That still wasn't on my radar. There was you know so much paperwork working for a clinic that build insurance and and deadlines and you know when you're billing insurance you have to always show your data from the previous you know you have to show that you're making progress to justify it to insurance so i i transitioned out of uh, working in a clinic um and moved into being a therapist in our local school district which i was i was pretty excited about you know having shorter hours having a, a 20 minute commute not having quite the same demand of paperwork or so I thought and, and getting to, you know, spend, spend more one-on-one time with my students and building a relationship with them without the, you know, having to track every second of data and, and turn that in. That was in, I started the school year in 2019 and we all know what happened in the spring of 2020. Um, so we, you know, kind of had an idea that we 
wouldn't be going back um, after spring break. And I was in March. I think that we we taught like we thought we were going to go back, but then we didn't. So we didn't like all the students still had, you know, whatever their they'd taken their backpacks on and stuff for spring break, but everything that was in their desks and all that was still there. They let staff have really limited access to, you know, go in and grab what we needed, which I mean, none of us knew like what, what should we get? Like, (laughs) okay. Um, You know, we had been like, it was my first year and and we were doing uh, paper, like Medicaid sheets. I had an SLPA in the school. So, you know, we grabbed some of that stuff and just kind of survived along with the rest of the world. And, you know, so I was like everyone else home from March on. So I didn't really even have a chance to like have that end of the year, like, okay, the school year's done. Now it's summer. Um, and I, I had quite a few students who, again, being in North Idaho, like our, our internet here is not great. And there's, you know, families who are further North and just more out in the woods that their internet's worse than mine is at my house who just said, you know, it's, it's not worth it right now. Like we can't access services. Um, so, you know, our, our caseload dropped quite a bit as far as what we were seeing and what, you know, how we could spend our time. So I kind of like at that point thought like, okay, well, like, what am I going to do? I hate virtual, hate it, hate it. But then as I, as I, you know, towards the end of the school year, I was like, well, I mean, this is okay. Like I'm making it work. It's fine. And then, yeah, summer break hit. And I was like, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Like we can't go do anything. I, my kids were two and a half and, and four and a half, almost five. And we were just hanging out at home. And still I, I wasn't like, yeah, private practice. That's what I want to do. But I started putting out in mom groups, like that I was looking for a job and that I had a background, you know, that I have a degree in, in speech language pathology, more for the fact of just like saying that I have knowledge and experience in the medical field and not really looking for a job or clients. Like I wasn't, I wasn't set up for that. That wasn't my goal. I just wanted people to know that I was experienced in in life, I guess. And so, uh, you know, I had a couple parents that kind of casually asked if I would do speech therapy for their kids. And I was like, I, I guess. And that, you know, most people were like, well, I have Medicaid. So I, you know, or I do you take this insurance and I didn't take any insurance and I didn't take Medicaid because, because I didn't need to. So that kind of like, that kind of got me thinking. I did have one, my very first client family, the mom is a a counselor in our area who was just starting out on her own private practice as a counselor. So we, you know, we connected and I was doing therapy for her daughter and then I was like, well, maybe I like, maybe, I, maybe I could do this. Like, this isn't bad. Like, you know, they, they live pretty close to me. I'd just go over to their house and like I'd hang out. I mean, do therapy, but you know, it was, it didn't feel weird or uncomfortable for me. It wasn't weird or uncomfortable for them. So that kind of got me thinking a little bit. And that was probably 
the end of that summer. So August, you know, July, August, but then the school year, you know, that next school year hit and it's like, okay, well, that was a great little like summer thing. I'll keep like seeing this one kid. And then, then the school year started and it was again, like, like so many school SLPs out there, you know, we went back and it's like, are we going to stay back? Are we not? How do you do speech therapy with a mask on? How do you like <laughs> social distance preschoolers? How do you social distance kindergarten? Like what, how many kids can you have in a group that, you know, it's like the state is allowing or that's legally allowed because of COVID and also to fit in your schedule. And I got pretty, pretty sick of it pretty quick. But of course, it's, you know, it's the school year. You can't like, I mean, I, I'm sure I, I could have left, but also I have bills to pay and I'm not gonna, you know, leave anybody high and dry. But, but kind of the more I, you know, worked through that, the more I was like, you know, I, I could probably, I need to do something else, at least on top of, on top of what I'm doing. And somehow I got signed up for your emails on, some, I don't know, some Instagram or something. So they just kept popping up every once in a while. And I was like, okay, that's interesting, but eh, I, I'm not going to do that right now. Okay. That's, oh, that, that training I could, or like the, the five day, uh, five day yeah. challenge. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could at least do that and, uh, and set, you know, set aside that time to, to at least listen and see like, see what options are out there. And so I kind of had talked to my, it was my fiance at the time. Um, so we were also trying to plan a wedding during the beginning of the school year in, in COVID. And yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to add too many things on my plate sometimes. <laughs> so um, I'm pretty, I mean, I'm pretty, I guess, impressed with myself that I made it through that whole training. And it, so I, yeah, I made it through all of that, the training videos with Jenna and, um, uh, I even, I, I have my notebook here and I, I know you guys can't see it, but my notebook from, from the things that, um, we went over in the course. Um, and the very first thing that I had written in this notebook, which I, I'm not sure if it was from the first day or if it was like from the intro video, but Jenna, you had talked about like, keep moving forward and how staying stuck is expensive. And Another thing that I noted was that I'm pretty sure you said this. So if not, like, let me know. But talking about how perfection is another form of procrastination. Um, I, I definitely repeated that. I think that that okay. is a Brene Brown thing, if we're to Maybe. give her credit. But it is okay. some, you know, so many SLPs struggle with perfectionism and with wanting everything to be perfect. And that just seems to be kind of a, you know, a, a trait that seems to be kind of abundant, like with, within our profession. And, um, I, I remember when I was in grad school, I had a roommate who was, who was that person who made all the beautiful board maker stuff and all the laminated things and everything was gorgeous. And it would take her so long. <laughs> and I'd be like, Megan, like, just, just do something. I don't know. Just, you know, you, you're smart, like you're, you're creative, just, you know, get up puzzle or something. I don't know. That's what I did. And and she really talked about feeling trapped by really feeling a perfectionism was something that she really struggled with. So anyway, it is definitely something that a lot of SLPs 
struggle with. So I'm, gl- I'm glad that I mentioned it and I'm glad that it was something that really resonated with you and helped maybe keep you moving forward. So I'm a, a procrastinator by nature always. And so I think that that kind of like it, it resonated with me, but then it also like brought me a little bit of shame, like in a, in a good way, I guess. Cause it was like, Oh, well, that's another thing that I'm just procrastinating about. And I don't like that. So if I stick through this five day thing, then at least I can say, didn't procrastinate on it. Like I, I did it. I might, it might not be, you know, maybe it's, maybe that's not for me, but at least I made it through that. And I didn't like keep putting it off. Didn't keep deleting the emails. I didn't keep like swiping it away or keep scrolling. So I think even just that little, that little bit for me kind of made me fight for it a little bit more. And after, so that was the end of September, I think into October. and. In October, the beginning of October was my wedding, October 10th. I think finishing the last training, which I feel like was on like a Wednesday night. And our wedding was that Saturday. So I was like just so overwhelmed with everything. Got done with the video and, and my hus- husband-to-be came in. And uh, I was like, really, I really think that I need to do this. Like, I just feel like based on all of this everything that we just talked about and that I learned like that this is going to like, this is what I need to do. And he was like, well, like why, you know, why, like, why do you think that or what, you know, in a, in an encouraging way, but like wanted me to tell him more or explain it more to him. So we had a good discussion about it. And, um, I said, I just like right now with dealing with a wedding, like I don't have the money to like, to join start, like to do that. I can't do it by myself because I know that I will just start and then stop because that's what I do. And he's like, well, you know, I'm willing to invest in this. So I will pay for that. I'll pay for start and I'll pay for the forms. I love that. You know, it's so often that the people tell me that, you know, that they, they want to join, they're thinking about private practice, but they, they don't feel like they can do it, right? And so they talk to a spouse or a partner or a family member or a friend. And it's oftentimes that person who's like, no, like you can do this. Like you have the skills, you have the background, you're miserable at your job or, you know, whatever the situation is. And it does oftentimes take someone else seeing your potential to be like, no, okay, okay, I can get this. And it really does help to have a support system in your life, right? Like not everybody has that, but for the people who do it, it does really help, especially when you're doing something new, like, you know, starting a business. Right, right. Yeah, and if he, you know, if he hadn't have been a funding of it aside, like if he hadn't have really believed in me and been so, yeah, encouraging about it, then I, yeah, I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have done it, but just having that was enough for me to, to do it. And, and then I feel like it's also motivating to have a, uh, a tribe because I like, I didn't want to let him down. Like he believed in me and it's a lot easier to, you know, let yourself down and kind of talk yourself into, you know, whatever negative headspace and then feel like, yeah, I I'm incompetent. I can't do that. That's just who I am. It's fine. 
But when you have someone else who's like, no, you can do this. Like you want it, you know, it makes you want to keep doing better, I guess, or to keep, to keep persevering through when it's hard. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. And it is, that's, I forget what like psychological principle or whatever it is, but like, you don't want to let somebody else down. Right. And so, and everyone I think needs to know, you know, what, what is it that motivates you, right. That, That has a positive motivation kind of thing. Right. And whether it's starting a business or I don't know, weight loss or or whatever, right? It's just good to know kind of what kinds of things work for you, right? So if feeling like maybe it's like accountability or I don't know, something like that, Mm -hmm. it it can be really helpful to identify like what that is. Yeah. 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 I think accountability is good. Yeah. Because it wasn't so much of like, well, maybe a little bit, but like, if I stop, he's going to be disappointed in me. Like he's encouraging me and that makes me feel encouraged to keep going. So yeah, that positive reinforcement versus the fear of negative reinforcement or negative consequences. Yes. Totally. Uh, Well, I'm so happy that you decided to join. So tell us a little bit about like what you were like, what was starting your private practice like, right? Like you, you joined the course and then you got, you know, access to the information and everything. But when did you kind of start to take action and what did that look like for you? I kind of slowly started to take action, you know, right after that, like printed off all the checklists. And um, I know for me, it was like the name, well, like, I I don't want to have to change it like multiple times. So that I think I, I spent a bit, a bit too long on that. And my, the, the name I originally came up with was Huckleberry Speech and Language Services. And I wanted I wanted it to have speech and language in it. And it, you know, there was all these things that I wanted it to have. So that's what I decided on. I did my DBA, um, doing business as name and got my EIN for that. Um, and then I got my liability and I kept, you know, going through the checklist. I went to open a business bank account and my name was too long to like fit on anything. And, uh, so they're like, can we just put like Huckleberry speech on your business debit card? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. And I like created a fun logo with a longer, you know, with that name and created an Instagram and was, you know, I, I felt like I did pretty well at growing my Instagram. And then I was like, this name is so long and I can't do anything with it. And I was having issues like trying to file my quarterly taxes because it was the, the tax forms. So pick a short, sweet name. That's my that's my advice. Abbreviate it, condense it, something. But then, you know, so I was still working in the schools in about and and just had that one client that I picked up in the summer, one that I had gotten right after I created my uh, Instagram page. A mom of one of my former clients at my previous job tagged a friend of hers in one of my posts. And so that, that mom reached out to me right away and we started doing virtual therapy in November for her kiddo. So that was kind of my first, like as a business, my first client, which was really fun, but my caseload kept growing. I worked in our district's preschool. And so all of those birth to three 
kiddos through the state, you know, as they turn three, we have to evaluate them and decide if they go into our preschool. And so it's, you know, was constant after work meetings. And by the spring, my caseload was above 90, which it was hard, really hard. So I, I kind of, you know, my business was kind of on the back burner. Um, I was still seeing those couple clients that I had, but then in December and, and my, my timelines kind of back and forth. So sorry, but in, so I guess back, back up a little bit to, so I got my first official client in November, then in December, the end of the year, there was a, a sign at one of our few local like businesses that had like space for rent. So after Christmas, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like pull in the parking lot and take a picture of that number. And then maybe I'll call them. And met with the landlord and talked to her about, you know, the space that they have, little office with a, like a small waiting room. And then there's like five or six individual offices there. There's already a chiropractor and a a massage therapist. And I instantly was like, yeah, this is perfect. Like there's not really space anywhere else in our town because it's tiny. It's five minutes from my house. You know, the space is like pretty big because I don't have that much stuff, which is not, not true. The space got small real quick, but, but then I had my husband like come with me to, to look at it just to see what he thought, because it's, you know, it's not just me. It's, you know, it's both of us. the business and everything is in my name, but we're still a team. You feel like you can make enough with the clients that you have to pay for it. Like it's close, it's safe, it's a good space, you know, go for it. So I did at the the very beginning of the year, like, you know, January 1st or 2nd, signed, signed a lease on an office space. And then I was like, well, I need more clients now. So I can pay for the space, but still uh, kind of, you know, drowning in the school life with way too many kids. But then I don't know if it came up like in our, in a discussion in the start group or just like reading through things, you know, people talking about doing contract work and how to, you know, how to get a contract doing contract work. And I was like, well, I, I can't, you know, it, it was kind of a tricky situation because I felt like my my plate was full with the school and the couple clients I had, and I couldn't really contract with a local clinic because I had my own business and I was like, well, no one's gonna want to like contract with me as their business with me under my business because that's just like asking for someone to take your clients, right? Even if that's not, you know, that would never be my intent. It was it just seemed like a a messy sticky situation. But then I was kind of, you know, Googling local clinics in the area and came across one that was hiring for virtual contract work. So I reached out to her, kind of explained my situation. And I was, you know, very upfront and said, I, you know, right now I work in this school district. Like, I can't contract with my own district with you. That's a thing. And I said, you know, I I have my own practice and I don't you know, so I want you to know that, which I think is something that's also hard for us as, as humans, but, you know, to kind of lay it all out 
on the table and say like, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm doing. Like, what are your thoughts? I guess. But I do, I know we've, you know, in the start group too, and you've talked about a lot, like it's always, it's always best to, to be upfront about that kind of stuff and not, not try to hide anything or omit details. So that's, that's what I did. I told her. Um, and she's like, well, how, like, how do I know that I'm not going to hire you and you're just going to take my clients? (laughs) Which I, I was like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to like prove that to you. And that was, that was pretty, like, that was a pretty big gut punch to be asked that. And, and uh, I just kind of sat with that for a little bit of, I don't like, I won't, like, I can tell you that I'm a, I'm a good person, but, but uh, I don't, I don't know how to prove it to you that it, it ended up working out. Well, I, I signed a contract with her to do, to work for one of her contracts, serving birth to three in central Washington, all teletherapy, uh, because I'm licensed in both states. And that's, I've been kind of slowly weaning off of that now that it's now that I've been working on building my own practice a little bit more, but having those multiple streams of income, like we talk about a lot in the group definitely has been, has been helpful for me. Well, I think that people are really smart to do that, right? Like, because, you know, there's only some pretty small percentage of people who can be like, you know what, I'm just going to quit my job and start a private practice. And even if it takes a while to build up my caseload and income, like no big deal, right? That's like not true for most people, right? Most people, you know, have families to feed, bills to pay, that kind of thing. So it's very common that people start on the side of their job. And then as they're building their practice, you know, finding other ways to supplement their income and lining up a contract through either like a school contract or EI contracts or some of these options are a great way to, to build your caseload. And eventually you may let those go, but for right now, like as it'll help with income stability and everything else. So for anyone listening, who's like, well, I just can't quit my job and do this. It's like, well, you don't have to really quit your job, but you may have to, you know, line up per diem or, you know, whatever it is in your area and with your type of practice, you know, um, you know, specialty or whatever you want to do. Like you got to make sense. You got to do what makes sense for you. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important. I think I was definitely in a position where I couldn't quit my job, even though I wanted to. And then seeing like, oh, I can do this. You know, I'm still muddling through 90 plus kids in in the school district, but I can, you know, carve out a little bit of time to see a few virtual clients and make, you know, a couple hundred dollars a month extra. And then it's like, oh, well, I could carve out a little more couple more hundred dollars a month extra. And I, I think sometimes it is hard to take that jump when it's like, what if I, what if I put myself out there and then nobody wants me? And there's definitely a, like a waiting to that too. You can't, you know, some people get lucky and have 15 clients lined up the second they announce their business. And sometimes it takes a while. I think once you kind of get a taste of it, I think that really helps. So to, you know, to people who are listening that are like, what if I just get one client? It's like, okay, but if you get one client and then you realize like, gosh, this extra hour a week, is giving me an extra hundred dollars a week. 
maybe like once I get that next one, then I'll get two hundred dollars a week, and and then it's kind of a it's, it's motivating. I guess that's like extrinsically motivating too. Like it's it's both. Like you get that that feel good in your heart feeling, and that like oh I could pay extra towards my student loans, whatever. And even if it starts out slow, like it's it's gonna get better. It's gonna grow. And I think that, yeah, starting, you know, even while you're working full time, especially in the schools is it might feel like a lot in the moment, but I think that it really is a good, just want to get your feet wet, but still have your, you know, still have your income. Yeah. I think there's a lot of ways. Um, and I think, you know, Jenna, you and, and just the mentors and the start group do a really good job of encouraging people that it's okay to start out that way. And I don't think in general, that's, that's not, that's not how we think of it. You know, I know you talk about a lot about the old way versus the new way. And, you know, at first, like the new way might seem like, what, like, is that really going to work? Like why really? Like there's a reason that there's the old way. That's how people do it. It's the old way. It's tried and true. But I think the more that I'm, you know, just watching other providers around me and in the start group and living through it myself, the more that it's like, okay, like the new way is the new way. And it's like, it's the way to do it. You know, it's not just gimmicky or trying to convince people to do things or I don't know, whatever. It's, you know, it is sustainable and it is something that is really and can really help you to make a, a smooth transition without risking your your whole livelihood, I guess, without taking that big jump. Totally, right? I think that, you know, and for listeners, if you don't know what Sarah's talking about, you know, I when I first started thinking about private practice, I had a lot of misconceptions that were based on, I don't know, assumptions of how I thought you had to do things, right? Like I thought you had to have a brick and mortar I thought that you had to save up thousands of dollars before you could start your private practice and that you had to have brick and mortar space or that you had to have like, you know, 15 or 20 more years of experience before starting. Right. And as you're listening to, to Sarah's you know, interview and, and many of the other people who've been on this podcast, probably by now you've noticed <laughs> that a lot of those things really are just assumptions and are things that are part of what I call the old way of doing it. And there's a, you know, a new generation of private practitioners out there and we're doing things a new and different way that works a lot better for most SLPs. So, you know, Sarah has really done a really lovely job of, uh, of sharing her story and how she has gotten started in this new way of private practice. And she's also, I might add, a wonderful student. She keeps saying all of these things that I'm like, oh yes, I taught her that. <laughs> but it's <laughs> but it's really, you know, really nice when, you know, um when you can tell that someone has been has been listening, right? And is like in because Sarah listened and she did the steps and like now she has an awesome private practice. And I'm so proud of you. And also one thing I just wanted to circle back to real quick is You've mentioned a couple of times that you live in a pr- pretty rural area. Can you share with our listeners, you know, what is it like to be a private practitioner in a rural area 
because, you know, lots of people are thinking about joining my program or thinking about private practice and they're like, but there's only a thousand people in my town or, but I live in a small town. So what, how, tell, tell people more about that experience for you. Sure. Yeah. So there's, there's quite a few smaller towns. North Idaho really is, is growing now, but around me, there's one other individual private practitioner who's about 20 minutes south of me. But then the other clinics are, you know, a half hour, 45 minutes north and south and have super long wait lists because families know that their kids need services, but there's, but there's nowhere to go. So even if, you know, even if you're in a rural town, there are still people who, you know, adult, I, I don't work with adults, but I, you know, there's adults in your area who need that support and there's kids in your area who need that. And if they can't get it locally, you know, in your small town, they, they're going to have to go somewhere else. But if, you know, if you can offer, you know, doing, I've done some in-home services as well, but if you can offer something that's close, you know, you might not, you might not get your ideal clients right away, but you know, you're still going to get clients who you are, are capable of treating, right? Like if, even if you, you work with kids and your specialty is really like childhood apraxia of speech, you can still do language therapy and, you know, kind of work your way into more of your specialty. But when you're the only one in town who offers something like that, you know, through word of mouth, I feel like that's, it's a, that's kind of an advantage of a small town. You know, if you see the mayor's kid, then the mayor's going to tell his city council person like, oh, I went to this person in town, but they were really great. And so you might get referrals that way through word of mouth. And, you know, starting out, you probably won't have a big wait list. And if there's someone who lives between you and your small town and another small town and the big town, and they can drive 15 minutes to you who doesn't have a wait list or 15 minutes to the big, well-established clinic that has a six month wait list, like they're going to choose to drive the 15 minutes or maybe even the 20 or 30 minutes to you to get their child in or to get their services sooner. And, and so I think that, you know, it is, it is scary when you're in a small town to like, what if there's not enough people? But I think the more, like, I, I think it's, it's worth taking the jump, especially if you're working in the schools or, well, really any, anywhere, as long as, as, as long as you feel like income wise, you can add a few kids in, you know, keep working at your big clinic job or keep working in the schools and then slowly build up your caseload and your word of mouth referrals to a point where, you know, you can either leave your current job or maybe cut back at your current job and just keep building your caseload. But, but don't let being in a small town hold you back because, because there's lots of opportunities, especially, especially now with virtual therapy too. Yeah. Finding contractors and, and things like that. It's definitely, it's worth it. It's worth it to take the jump. Oh, I love that. You explained that really just so well. And, you know, I think that, you know, you have a chance to be part of the solution, right? If there are people who are in your community who either are stuck on wait lists or going without services, and you have the interest and the availability to see some of those folks privately, like 
you can really, you know, be part of their solution and they can actually be part of your solution if you're looking for more flexibility, more income, you know, more of those kind of things. So I often say that private practice is the bridge that really helps bring together people who need services with people who are willing to provide them. So, you know, I think, you know, Sarah's story is so wonderful in that she's really been able to be this bridge for folks and because of telepractice too, and having licenses in multiple states, like you can also fill that gap for people, not just in your local community where you have your brick and mortar, but also in, you know, in uh, more wide communities because of the way that the licensing works with telepractice. So I'm so proud of what you've been able to accomplish. Before we wrap up, do you have any last minute, like, um, words of wisdom or things that you would share with people who are thinking about private practice, but maybe they're on the fence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, a couple things, but I'll keep them short. When I was initially talking with that contractor who I'm contracted with, you know, she asked me, Oh, do you do feeding therapy? And I said, no, I don't. I don't want to do feeding. I don't like doing feeding. I don't know how to do feeding. I don't. And she said, well, you're going to have a really hard time um, getting clients because they want someone who can do speech and feeding and was very like abrupt when she said that. And it's fine. So I think definitely remembering that, you know, the services that you have to offer are valuable. And while it's not going to meet everybody's needs, you know, there are clients who need you and they need your skills and your expertise. So don't be discouraged if someone makes a, makes a comment like that, because yeah, you know what you have to offer and lean into the strengths that you already have. And yeah, don't listen to the haters, but, but really like, but just make sure that you, you know, you know, you know what you know, and you are confident and competent in that, even if you might not feel like you're the best at language when you're really focused on childhood apraxia of speech. Yeah. Be confident in what you know. And yeah, there's clients, there's clients who need you and they will, they will find you and seek you out and just take the, take the leap, have someone, you know, talk to, talk to your friends and family about it. And try to see if you can, you know, find someone to help talk you into it, I guess, to be that like accountability partner, because it's, it's worth it. Even if you don't have a, a good accountability partner outside of it, the support in the Start Your Private Practice group and Facebook group is just so good. The community is amazing. You, you know, you can ask a question and, and get answers. And I'm sure that most people in that group, if you're like, Hey, you talked more about this. I have a question that they would be more than happy to, you know, to share with you and help you. And it's really a culture of, of support and collaboration and, and community. So it's okay to start small and it's okay if you don't have a lot of outside support because you will get it in the group. Absolutely. I think, you know, not everyone has the support. And that's one of the reasons too, why I make sure that mentorship is available as part of the program is because it's really important to be able to have people to look up to, 
and to be able to ask questions of who have, you know, been in your situation and who know exactly what you're going through, but are, you know, a few years or more ahead of where you are. Right. So, yeah, I think that, you know, if you're thinking about private practice and, you know, you've listened to Sarah's story and you're like, you know, what I, what I always hope that people think about when they listen to these interviews is, you know, if they can do it, I can do it. Right. If, if it's someone who lives in a small town who was, you know, starting their private practice, you know, with kids and, you know, while, you know, being a newlywed and all these kind of other things while working a school job and all this, you know, it's like, if she can do it, like you can do it too. Right. So thank you so much, Sarah, for being part of the Start Your Private Practice program and for, you know, just sharing your story and encouraging all of, you know, your fellow SLPs who are listening to, to give it a try and, you know, and take the leap and find an accountability partner who can help you out. And if you don't have somebody in real life, then you'll find one in the group. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Jenna. Thanks for all of your support and encouragement and your, yeah, the group and the community that you've built. I, I could not have done it without you guys. Really, really, I couldn't. And I really appreciate that. Well, thank you. Well, again, I really appreciate you being in the program and I appreciate you giving this, this interview, right? You know, when I first started thinking about doing this podcast, I was like, maybe I could get like 12 people to sign up, you know, like one person a month. Right. And we consistently have a new guest on every single week, which means like 52 people a year who are starting private practices and sharing their stories. So again, thank you so much for uh, Sarah, for sharing yours. So how much do you love Sarah? I love her energy, her commitment to her community, and how she created a private practice that works for her family and herself too. Now, Sarah mentioned several times about being in the Start Your Private Practice program and how it was very important for her success. Not only the trainings, but also the support that we give our students in our exclusive Facebook community. I would absolutely love to help you start your private practice too. So let's make a plan for that. We will be reopening for enrollment pretty soon. So you need to make sure that you're on our wait list to hear about it. So if you haven't already, head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist to sign up and you'll be notified as soon as we start accepting new students. Till then, keep listening to this podcast for more information and inspiration about how to start a private practice the new way. See you next week. I decided to invest in the Start Your Private Practice program because I honestly had no idea where to start. <laughs> and I just didn't really have the confidence or the know-how to be able to do that. So it was really nice to have a system that was all set up for me. I didn't have to reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. It was all there for me. And I was able to land a client within about the first week and a half of me going public with my private practice. So now I have 12 clients. It is such an invigorating and amazing experience. If you want help to start your speech therapy private practice, then head on over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist so that you will be notified as soon as we reopen the doors to the Start Your Private Practice system. Again, that's startyourprivatepractice.com backslash waitlist. I cannot wait to help you start your private practice. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independentclinician. 
And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.